Welcome back to Beyond the Couch with Bridges Mental Health. I'm Christy, and we're really excited to talk to Reina Vadhaven today. Reina is a licensed psychotherapist and one of our beloved members of the Bridges Clinician community based in New York. We are hoping to remove a lot of stigma around mental health and therapy, and one of the ways we're hoping to do that is get to know what therapists are like themselves and all of the cultural experiences and identity stuff that we bring into our work and often our own cultural experiences can actually lead us into doing this work. So Reina, I would love to hear about how you identify. Hi, Christy. Thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate this. Yeah. So my identity uh, includes, you know, being first generation South Asian woman of color I moved to America 10 years ago and learning and understanding my own identity has really impacted my work, being able to closely connect with other women of color. I think, you know, also growing up in different countries has made me really familiar with challenges around adaptation and acculturation issues. Also learning about intersectionality has been really important for me and knowing the things that I hold privilege in has also been really important to consider in my therapy as well. And it's something I often explore with a lot of my clients, you know, kind of looking at societal dynamics of gender, race, class, sexual orientation, and ability. Yes. Thank you for bringing that in. Even as you're talking about acculturation processes and being in New York only in the last 10 years and what that might've been like to cross cultures. Yeah. And, you know, like growing up in India where it's predominantly homogenous, it was really interesting to come to America because I realized spaces where I held privileges, you know, being in India, um, I was a minority here. Hmm. So that was something also to kind of get used to. Because, you know, being a woman of color in India was something that was a privilege. You know, I was Indian. I looked the same as everyone else around me. It wasn't until grad school, you know, I really learned really what it means, you know, to understand your identity and what identity development is. And it was really eye-opening to learn and also really hard to kind of take in as well, you know, where I had to start thinking about things that maybe I didn't think about before, you know, in in terms of like my skin color, you know, and my race and my ethnicity. And these were things that I never really thought about as much when I was in India. And there is, you know, racism within India too, between North and South India, and there's colorism there, but it was different here, you know? And so that was something that I really had to educate myself about. And it's really kind of helped me understand other inter- international students when they move here too, or other immigrant families and their experiences too. Wow, that there's there's still these themes of colorism and racism um, in India, but it's a totally new cultural landscape once you come here, it sounds of navigating what your skin color might mean or get certain reactions from in the U.S. compared to back home. Right. You know, I think in India, um, in North India, you know, there's this preference of being fair skinned and, you know, that's seen as like beautiful and it's seen as attractive. And so I grew up in North India. And so I, you know, I know that I hold privilege in terms of, you know, my skin color. And when I moved here, it was interesting because that that was something that was different, you know, and, Mm. and I was also perceived as, you know, I think there's also a stereotype, right, of what an Indian looks like. And it's seen as more like traditional, where they wear like Indian clothes, or they have an accent, you know, and I didn't hold those stereotypes, you know, for me, I speak like an American, and um, I dressed 
Western, which a lot of Indians do, but I think it's something that people don't think about. And so people would perceive me as being Latina, you know, or South American and uh, would make comments about that. And so it was a lot of kind of like working through that and feeling comfortable in my own skin and just Mm. (laughs) navigating those dynamics. I'm curious, like what it did feel like to get labeled as something that you were not, but just based on how people were perceiving you from the outside. It was really confusing because, you know, I never viewed myself as Latina and it was actually really frustrating having to explain myself and explain my identity. You know, I remember even in graduate school, I was in class and I had, you know, an, or a South Asian teacher asked me, you know, where I'm from. And when I told her I was from India, she questioned that and asked me like, oh, are both your parents Indian? You know, and I think it was confusing to even have other South Asian people question my identity. And it actually got really frustrating because I felt like people didn't believe me when I shared who I was or where I came from, just because I didn't meet the standard or the stereotype, you know? It sounds very frustrating and confusing even to have those questions coming from another South Asian person, even how frustrating it is to explain who you are and maybe even have to explain over and over again. Yeah, and I feel like now it's kind of turned into more of like an educational thing where when people do question it, you know, I come at it from more of kind of breaking those stereotypes, you know, and kind of just recognize, right, that like just because I come from India doesn't mean that I, you know, I don't have to dress a certain way or I don't need to have an accent, you know, and your accent doesn't define who you are. That was another thing that I would get a lot, you know, of like, oh, you have an American accent, but you grew up in India. Like, that was another thing that was difficult to work through. I'm curious about your journey and becoming a therapist and how you came into this profession as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my journey, you know, is something that I often reflect on. And it really started when I was in India. So now India is different because people are more open to therapy. Um, Mental health is a little bit more accessible. People talk about it a lot more. But when I was growing up, learning disabilities and mental health or mental illnesses were seen as an individual weakness. And, you know, I witnessed a lot of people suffer from frequent bullying. I used to intern at this hospital and it is this ER where people would come in and there would be some people that would come in, you know, from a suicide attempt or, you know, people would come in because they were schizophrenic. And I would see how, you know, the families would exclude them and the way that the doctors would view these patients and reject them in a lot of ways. And so I really saw how stigma caused a lot of people to experience shame, um, low self-worth, you know, symptoms of anxiety, depression, and trauma. And I think it was really seeing these experiences that drove me to want to understand mental health and the stigma within the larger culture. And so I moved here and I went to college and graduate school and now I'm here. But it's, it's been interesting because, you know, even today, many people in my community and culture still don't really understand what I do. And so I still spend a lot of time explaining and spreading awareness about mental health in my community. Mm. And I think, you know, at first it was a little hard when I first kind of started this journey because there's no word for like psychotherapists in, in like Hindi. And so it was really hard to, you know, really describe 
what I do or what it means because people were like, what is this? Um, and there was nothing like a therapist growing up, you know, it wasn't something that was, they were, there was some, there was a lack of therapists and just psychologists in India. So yeah, I think it's, it is hard, but I think people are more open to it. And so, you know, now it feels good because people are curious and they want to know. And so it, it does feel like I'm giving back in a way by talking more about it and spreading awareness. Can you tell us a bit about who you are drawn to work with and where that passion is in your work? So, you know, I think it's really empowering for me to just work in general with women of color. But in particular, you know, I love working with South Asian women and it feels really good to kind of see South Asian women prioritize themselves and their own mental health, you know, despite the challenges and judgments that they might perceive from their culture or society for seeking therapy. And I think that it's really, it's, it, I really enjoy working with them because, you know, we're normalizing mental health for a lot of them or a lot of the clients that I see, you know, it's their first time in therapy. And so we really work on what does it mean to be in therapy and the stigma around it, you know, so destigmatizing it. And it's, it's fun to kind of work with them to, um, you know, break the intergenerational trauma as well, where, you know, talking about feelings and emotions is something that they're taking that step to work on so they don't have to kind of they can pass that along, you know, in the future as well. What do you tend to see in people who might not have as much emotional intelligence or exposure to that sort of language? And what role do feelings and emotions play in traditional Indian households? So it's really not talked about, you know, I think that what I've seen is it's something that people feel more physically. You often hear South Asians say the word in their household, like tension, you know, I'm feeling tension. And what that translates to is anxiety, you know, or a lot of them will experience it physically with, you know, a headache, or they'll have like digestive issues, or some of them have like hair fall, you know, and all of that Mm -hmm. are symptoms of anxiety, but they don't know that. And so that's the way they experience, you know, emotions or talk about it, you know, also through anger. I think anger is one emotion that's really normalized. I'm so curious about that. Can you say more about anger as a really normalized emotion among South Asian households? Yeah, I think anger is something that, you know, you've seen growing up from your parents by certain discipline, you know, or like, you know, by yelling or, you know, setting really rigid boundaries that can be harmful. I think a lot about the role of anger in immigrant households in the U.S., um, especially because of how traumatic immigration is in itself and there might often be a language barrier as well as many cultural barriers where all of what we could feel can often then be shown simply as anger or aggression or there being like corporal punishment and things in the home when there might be so many other things but anger is like the clearest way to get it out yeah yeah I'm wondering if you see that at all too Yeah, no, I do see that, you know, and I see that there's a lot of expectations that parents put on their kids um, and there's a lot of frustration, right? So I think that the parents are already kind of experiencing their own stresses in their daily lives and they don't really know what to do with it because they don't know how to self-regulate or process these emotions. And so they project it, you know, they take it out on their their kids and, um, and that's how it gets normalized. And so the kids learn it. That's the only way they they know how to express how they feel. 
And I think it's, you know, a lot more normalized in, in men than women, because the women are taught in India to, to not really express how they feel and are taught like, you know, women are supposed to be more quiet and they're supposed to, you know, not show anger because that's what boys do, you know, it's more normalized, you know, within men in some ways. It is something that is shown more often than any other emotions. With your caseload and clientele being largely South Asian women and that being where a lot of your passion is too. I'm curious about Mm -hmm. some of the themes that you notice in your work. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the biggest themes that I have noticed is they don't really know what to do with their anger. You know, that they they feel angry, but they don't know how to preface it. They, they, They aren't even able to identify, you know, that it's anger. You know, I think that a lot of times they're able to kind of verbalize that they're feeling anxious or they're feeling sad or they're feeling low and they'll describe a situation. And I'm like, oh, it's, it sounds like that's something that can make someone feel really angry. And they're able to then associate and be like, oh, yes, it is anger that I feel. For a lot of them, they feel that the only way you can express anger is by yelling or screaming. Mm. And so I think it's working on really recognizing that there's other ways that we can also process anger. It sounds like the mental health stigma is still prevalent in South Asian communities, but I'm also yeah. curious about then what barriers you might notice or that might be difficult to overcome when they're seeking therapy or even thinking about mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've noticed a few. One of the big ones is, you know, people with mental illnesses are viewed as weak or crazy. Mm. And so I think a lot of times when people come in, they really question and they go into this feeling like there's something wrong with them, that they're in therapy now, you know, or they feel weak to have emotions. So that's one of the things that really prevents people from seeking help. Mental health disorders are often misunderstood as well. So they don't really understand uh, or they don't think that it's real. Like anxiety and depressive symptoms have been so normalized there and they're viewed as predictable responses to daily life problems. For example, like family conflict or marital problems or pressure to perform in some way that I think a lot of South Asian women even have a challenging time, you know, viewing them as unhealthy. You know, this is something that might be actually harmful for them, you know? Hmm. And so even in my sessions, I often, you know, encourage clients to be more compassionate towards themselves. And we work on self-acceptance a lot as well. I'm curious if you can tell us more about what that looks like in your work and building compassion or working on self-acceptance? Yeah, we work on kind of looking back at, you know, what the core belief is, you know, for a lot of these women, they're coming in because they're people pleasers, you know, and that comes from coming from a collectivist culture where you feel like you have to please everyone around you. And if you don't, then you're viewed as selfish or disrespectful, you know? So I think it's working on recognizing healthy boundaries and, you know, how you can be there for your family or people around them, but you can also take care of yourself. You know, I'll have people who come in where it's hard for them to trust themselves and they have this pressure to perform. So they're always playing different roles, you know, like they're always playing the good mother or the good daughter or the good sister, you know, or the good friend. And sometimes in that process, you can lose who you are in your own identity. And so we work on really removing those labels and those roles and really figuring out who you are when you're not playing those roles, right? When you're not being so performative. 
yeah, and perfectionism is another thing that we work on, you know, where a lot of South Asian women feel, you know, growing up, they've been taught to be so performative, and they end up feeling like they have to be so put together all the time, you know, there's this idea that people are always watching you. And so this fear of being perceived, you know, a certain way, you know, you do experience being a perfectionist, right, where you have to be so perfect all the time. And I think that that's something that really takes you away from really being authentic. So that's something that we really work on exploring on, you know, what does it mean to show up more authentically in your relationships? Yeah, I appreciate how you also create space for you can be there for your family and take care of yourself at the same time, because people are straddling two worlds of going home to immigrant parents or immigrating themselves, that there can be this feeling of, well, then if I learn more about who I am or take care of myself or live a more authentic life, then I'm, do I just cut off my family and forgo right. those things that I grew up valuing or really believing in? Yeah. And a lot of the hope in our work or working with clients like this can also be letting both of them be there and creating space yes. for all of it, rather than it being a total shift into independence or individualism and and being careful in the work to not just simply write off the value of those collectivist communities or families. And that's still being important, but maybe not the only important thing in our yeah. lives. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, I agree with you. And, you know, I think that a lot of them feel like they are so stretched, you know, they have to always choose one over the other, you know, and at home, you're growing up with a different culture, right? Which is mostly collectivistic. And then you're in this country, which is very individualistic. And I think that I've seen that a lot of people have a really difficult time, you know, choosing, like they feel like they have to choose one over the other, you know? Mm. And so in my sessions, we work on really identifying, you know, what parts of you is individualistic and what parts of you that is collectivistic and trying to find a middle ground, right? And not feeling like you have to choose between one another because you grew up in both and mm. coming to, you know, acceptance with that. Yeah, know? what a way of creating compassion and acceptance of just like choosing from multiple parts of us and them all being true. Right. And working on that integration and creating your own identity. You know, I think that people have this, I think that there's like a standard created, right. Of your identity should look like this. You know, you should belong to like this one, one culture or this one race, you know? And I think that that's so unrealistic because we're part of different cultures. I think most of us are. Well, it's, it's so lovely to hear about your story. Can you tell us a bit about your current practices around self-care? Yeah, you know, as a practitioner, I feel like it's really important for clinicians to take care of themselves. And so for me, I, I feel like I have a structure to my self-care just because it's something that I, I notice that if I, if I don't do, I end up feeling really fatigued or I might not feel as energetic. And so for me, it's, you know, working out and it's journaling and I do like a little meditation in the morning. And what's something that's bringing you joy recently? I love cooking. So I started learning how to cook Indian food and I really enjoy it. And I think that it's something that really grounds me. So I'm really enjoying doing that. Amazing. I still have to learn how to cook Korean food. I love it, but I just <laughs> don't know how. And I eventually will learn. It's just, I'll need the energy to do so. <laughs> Yeah, it took um, me some time to get there, but I'm glad that I finally have been able to identify how to do it. What a wonderful way of reconnecting. Yeah, especially away from home. Yeah. It's been so lovely to, to chat with you, Reina. And if people have any questions for you or would want to work with you, how might they be able to find you? 
they can just contact me through my website. So it's www.therapywithreina.com. Amazing. If anyone has any questions for Reina or for us at Bridges too, you all can DM us at Bridges Mental Health on Instagram or email us and all of the info and how to reach Reina will also be in the description. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Chrissy. <laughs>